right, so in this episode, we're going to be discussing the scope of Article 9 as it relates to secure transactions. I do want to note that the scope of Article 9 is kind of large and it can sometimes be confusing. So if what I say does not make sense, just go read Section 9109 of Article 9 and hopefully that would answer any other questions that I don't fully flush out in this episode. So what is the scope of Article 9? Well, we are going to be talking about true cells that establish a security interest. And then we'll discuss a few other types of transactions. We kind of talked about this too with the irrelevance of form. And then we also want to discuss bankruptcy because bankruptcy may affect the scope of what can be attachable or recoverable after uh, bankruptcy actually happens. So let's start with true cells. Sometimes cells and not just loans can establish a security interest. Um, most of everything that we're going to be discussing involves a loan, but there are types of cells that do establish security interest. This could be the case when you have cells of accounts. Uh, that is, one party buys the accounts receivable of another party. You can have chattel paper, you can have promissory notes, and you can have payment intangibles. Again, the reason for these for including a security interest with these types of cells is because they look similar to a security interest, it's just a standard security interest with the loan. So it just makes sense for Article 9 to end up covering those types of cells. In other words, it's better to be safe than sorry. You don't want to miss out just because you think you're covered when you're actually not. So other types of transactions that is covered by Article 9, Section 9109, are retention of titles, which we talked about in our previous episode. Shipment under reservation. What this is, is if party A delivers goods to carrier B, and that person delivers them to party C. In that case, party A is going to tell the carrier not to deliver the goods until party C, in this situation, has paid in full. In this situation, party uh, A is going to return a security interest in the goods that is carried by carrier B. Pretty complex, but it's just pretty much hold off on delivering the shipment until we're paid, then you can actually give them. At that point, you are retaining a security interest in that situation. It's essentially a retention of title kind of case, but it's shipment under reservation. And then we have a third way of other type of transactions. These are going to be prepaid, prepaid prices and damages upon a rightful revocation of acceptance. This is a situation where party A receives defective goods from party B. In this situation, party A is going to revoke acceptance of the goods. This is kind of going back into contractual uh, defenses. And then they're going to demand compensation for those defects. Party A in this situation is going to have a secured interest in the defective goods until party B makes a reimbursement of those goods. Okay, the final way that you can have scope covered is going to be through agriculture or other statutory liens, which we have discussed at length in another type. 9109D excludes other certain types of transactions, which we're just not going to cover here just because those are kind of out there. 
But our analysis to determine whether or not something is going to be covered by the scope of Article 9 is first, just determine whether the parties are attempting to establish a security interest in. What are they trying to establish a security interest in? And then the second question, is it covered by 9109A? And if it is, well then ask, is this going to be excluded by 9109D? If it's not excluded, well, Article 9 applies, you have a security interest in that item, you're good to go, you better perfect it. And again, we'll talk about perfection later. Actually, we'll talk about perfection starting our next episode on secure transactions. But I do want to discuss what bankruptcy effects may actually have on security interests. Because depending on the type of collateral, or rather whether that collateral was acquired later, bankruptcy could have a significant impact on whether or not the creditor is able to recover after the debtor defaults. And typically if you're in bankruptcy, the debtor is going to default if they haven't done it already. Okay, so what's the bankruptcy effect on after acquired property clauses? The effect is that these clauses become ineffective for property that is acquired after the bankruptcy petition is filed. Anything acquired before the bankruptcy uh, petition is filed, you can still retain a security interest. But everything after, that clause is ineffective. Bankruptcy has no effect on proceeds, so you can still recover proceeds after the bankruptcy happens. For future advances, bankruptcy has the effect of making sure that those future advances don't automatically become secured. Again, that is after the bankruptcy proceedings are filed. If you want these future advances to be secured, well, then you need to have court approval. The effect on the estate is that all security interest within the estate is stayed and the secure party is not going to be able to recover. So if the secure party wants to recover, they're going to have to make a motion to lift the stay so that they can actually recover those items. Another effect is that the secured party has a secured claim on the collateral, not the obligation. This means that they can't ask for their money back. They can ask for the collateral that was offered up for the obligation. And finally, there is an effect on post-petition interest. Over secured creditors, this is where their security interest is fully satisfied by the value of the collateral plus sum, are entitled to receive interest and value for the time that the bankruptcy proceedings take place. And this is because some of that collateral is going to um, become defective or, um, I can't remember, oh, depreciate. And so you want to make sure that you have that interest available to cover up that depreciating collateral. If the value of the collateral continues to depreciate, or if that collateral can be spent by the debtor, well then the secure party may actually receive adequate protection. And this is going to come in the form of replacement collateral. The value of this collateral for the purposes of replacement is going to be evaluated in one of three different ways. Uh, The going concern of the collateral, and this is going to be the value of the asset, uh, 
in regards to the ongoing efforts of the business. You've got the liquidation value, which is how much money the asset can be obtained from a sell. And then you've got replacement value, which is the cost of replacing the, uh, the asset, the collateral. Debtors can use collateral without court approval if the use is consistent with the ordinary course of business. So if a farmer is bankrupt and he has a tractor that is offered up as collateral, he can or she can still use that collateral to do farm work because that would be the ordinary course of business. But if the collateral is cash or is going to be utilized outside the ordinary course of business, well then court approval is going to be required and usually this means that you are going to have to uh, continue making payments based off of the collateral. Usually this is uh, if you need to use the collateral to continue to earn a living. Uh, so you, uh, you can pay the bills, keep, keep the lights on. But that's what we talked about when it came to the scope of Article 9. Uh, outside of the loan aspect of Article 9, we discussed true sales and other types of transactions, then also some of the effects that bankruptcy may have on those obligations and that security interest. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.